hello, hello! Welcome to Video Gameography, the video game history podcast where we laugh and we learn about a video game series through every entry. I'm Marcus Stewart. I'm joined by my co-host, John Carson. Hey, I'm ready to laugh and learn you a little bit. Learn me? Learn you, specifically. You gonna, it's like, uh, like a Western like uh, threat. Uh, <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to learn, learn you today. <laughs> I'll learn you, boy. Isn't that a little spicy? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, Okay. (laughs) I'm glad we established that. I don't know. I didn't want to start this out with a threat, but (laughs) you're going to learn today. Uh, Yes, you, the the listener, you're going to be learning today uh, specifically about Transistor because we're in the second episode of season five where we are talking about Supergiant Games going through uh, their entire portfolio. Uh, You know, we talked about Bastion last week. Be sure to give that a listen. It was a really fun episode. And I'm very excited to talk about Transistor today. And we've got a special guest to help us out. Our our co-worker, our leader, we love him. One Matt Miller. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Going well. Good. I'm so excited that you guys are doing this series on Supergiant stuff. You're one of my favorite studios. I uh, and Transistor in particular is is a is a weird favorite of mine because like I I think it doesn't get as much love as it deserves. It was sort of this this like sophomore effort, right? It was kind of weird. I I suspect it wasn't maybe played as much as a lot of their other stuff, but it's a really really great little game. Um and uh so yeah, I'm stoked to talk about it. I'm so glad you said that because I pretty much agree with all of that and have yeah. had that same sentiment about Transistor. Um, I guess, you know, to get into like our own sort of personal histories with it, uh, I I always felt like I had to be like a weird defender of this game around the time that it came out and in a few years after where, and I think it's just in my own head because we'll talk about it later. Looking back on this when I was researching, this game was received really well. And in my brain, and I don't know, maybe it's talking, you know, maybe it's the critical reception versus the fan reception, but I just remember there being a little bit of pushback of like, eh, Transistor's okay or something like that. And I, and in my mind, I'm like, oh, I, I love this game. It's, I think it's great. I don't, am I the only one that sees this? And, and like, I don't know, maybe it's just the people around me or I'm, I'm overblowing it in my mind. Uh, what about you, John? What's your history with Transistor? Yeah, Transistor, I mean, it was coming off of Bastion, uh, uh, an amazing, uh, I guess, somewhat uh, action RPG uh, that I, I really enjoyed and had great memories of at the time. And so I was really excited to see what Supergiant was doing next. And, uh, yeah, I, like I, I, I bought it. I played the first few hours of it, uh, but I never, I never really finished it. I never went the the full distance with it. And I don't know if that was because it wasn't more like Bastion, uh, in a way. Um, I mean, there, we'll, we'll talk about it in a, in a bit, but the studio also had its reservations with its second game because there is that shadow of this uh of uh, uh, the shadow of bastion behind them like this is their their second game together they want to do something different um but they also need to stick to their core principles in a way um and with with this game uh, they they absolutely do like i i think the what what we've seen from supergiant over the years is their core principles are like uh, great audio great art fun gameplay 
instead of like these very specific like this is how the combat needs to be there needs to be a narrator for these things uh like those those aren't those are things that people will think about when they when they think of a super giant game but i don't think those are the exact core principles that need to be there for for their games um and transistor hits everything that it needs to but for whatever reason i it never really stuck for me uh and i'm marcus i'm sorry for not being one of those people who 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 saw it with you back back in the day but okay this is what you yeah. meant when you said you're gonna be learning me yeah exactly today. i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you all about how i i gave up <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and and matt the reason we have you on uh you know for those that aren't aware uh you know matt is our uh manager of uh magazine content for uh game informer and you reviewed this game when it came out so i, I did i did a bunch of both uh preview coverage and review coverage for this game um I think it's fair to say at the time, I mean, certainly with Bastion, we were um, we were reaching out and talking to Supergiant very early, having seen it, having had the opportunity to see that game early. And I think there was some sense that um, we would communicate with the folks over at that studio and and we're really cheerleaders for what they were trying to do. Um, and uh and that extended into Transistor when I think that that studio was continuing to be on the rise and and be known by more and more folks. Um, but there's no there's no doubt that it it, it had a weird um, identity, right? I mean, John, you're you're alluding to that a little bit that it was like it was trying to be okay. What is what is our identity as a studio? Uh, and I'd argue that uh, Transistor, even more than Bastion, was important in, in establishing that, right? Because Bastion, Bastion could have been a one-off, right? It could have been like, okay, it has this weird, uh, not weird, but this this somewhat unusual art style, um, yeah. these sort of vibrant colors. It has this focus on like music and voice integration in an unusual way, Um uh, a focus on on sort of novelty game in in its gameplay approach. Some of these things that you know, if you you look at the full spread of Supergiant's catalog, um, at the time, Bastion was just Bastion, right? It was just this right. one game that was like, wow, that was really cool what they did with their narration, and wow, that the the backgrounds and the environments were so cool. And then you just like, okay, well, what are they going to do next? And Transistor for me is the game that established the things that um, that they felt were central to their identity, um, and the things and the other places where they felt like they could, you know, go wherever they wanted. Right? Uh, Transistor certainly had more of the sort of you know with its we'll talk about more later, but the pause and play stuff and the focus on on sort of strategic movement and that kind of thing. That was a, a far cry from the, the sort of action focus of, of Bastion and uh, and all that kind of stuff. But even though it was a completely different setting and completely different characters, you felt like it was like, oh, this is definitely from the same people, right? Yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, I bet you guys, as you continue to talk about this, the studio's games over the, the coming weeks, it's like, that's what fascinates me about them, right? Is that they go all over the place. I they go to all these different um, genres for inspiration and uh, they create entirely new worlds for just a single game. But then they go back to that, the, the sort of identifiable um, features 
that make it be, especially if you know their games, you're like, oh, this is totally the new Supergiant game. I totally know what they're doing here, right? Oh, I yeah. love that about that studio. Um, Transistor, though, uh, there's no doubt. I mean, it, uh, it, it was experimental in a way that Bastion wasn't. Um, and not to say that Bastion didn't experiment <laughs> with a lot of things, but Transistor w went uh, the, the next uh, mile on that, right? Like, it was not afraid to try things in the name of, like, let's just keep the player guessing a little bit, and let's try a, a system that uh, for how we're approaching upgrades, right? Let's try a system for how we're uh, approaching combining powers. Um, let's do strategic... St sort of grid-based play, but it's not going to be grid-based strategy and do this thing that, you know, people just don't do, right? And some of it doesn't totally click in, in the full flow of the game, mm -hmm. um, but I'm kind of okay with that, right? Because it was just so exciting and different. I remember playing it all the way through the first time and just being like, wow, that was, that was a really weird game that was different from anything I'd encountered before. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. It's I think it's their I don't want to say like their weird intrigues. I feel like even pirates maybe be that. But <laughs> they're like, all they're all kind of weird. Yeah, they're, they're all their weird in their own way. And they, like they're you said, way. I think that's what makes that that studio so special. Yeah, I'm excited to unpack this. So uh, before we jump right into the dev history, as always, I'm really fascinated to talk about 2014 in general because one this is the one year we have not talked about yet in video gameography this is the first game that has landed this year so this will be a, a fresh nice. journey for all of our uh, longtime listeners and also because 2014 has the reputation of being a down year uh i think if you talk to most like enthusiasts or critics it's kind of looked at as like probably the the weakest year of the 2010s in terms of a uh, like releases and uh you know i have a list of games here that i just want to run down real quick to you know some of the standouts of the year uh besides transistor of course this is when we got dragon age inquisition we got middle earth shadow of mordor uh we've got the low-key game of the year in my opinion bayonetta 2 <laughs> and i will fight anyone on that Pretty um good. Uh, but we also got a uh, super smash brothers for 3ds and wii u dark souls 2 was this year which i forgot about the first Shovel Knight, uh, Matt, your jam, Destiny, launched oh, yeah. this year. Uh, Assassin's Creed Unity, uh, and uh, The Last of Us Left Behind, or some other stuff. But I always wonder, like, when you look back on 2014, I think I'm also in that camp of, like, yeah, if you were to rank every year in the 2010s, it'd probably be last. Uh, and, like, Transistor was in my top 10 that year. But I remember it being a relatively difficult year of like, what is my like, what are the super big standouts here? Part of that part of that is that um, I'd argue that the 2010s in general have been a really remarkable time for for games evolving and growing and, and doing really interesting things. And if you, you look at the decade as a whole, it was I mean, the number of games that just profoundly expanded the. Uh, the scope of the medium and and the way that we think about games. I mean, it's just, there's a lot. And so when you had, a, I mean, it's funny to hear you uh, rattle off those games um, as an illustration, and you're right, by the way, as an illustration that it was a, a down year, quote unquote. But I mean, some of those games are just great games, right? Yeah. And yeah. some of them 
are games that have are either still around in some form or are still influencing things right now. Um, but you're right, you know, you compare it to let's say 2012, um, and it's it's not maybe the same. Like, oh my gosh, like there's just so many titles that completely changed the world here. Um, but I don't know, you know, like it's a weird metric that we we tend to follow. It's an easy way to talk about stuff of like, okay, well these were the games of the year. Um, but as part of that decade, right, um, uh, there, there were some really cool, um, titles that came out and, um, I think as it relates back to what we were talking about, what we're talking about here, um, it is, it, it was sort of in the early phases of super giant growing into what they are now and the, the level of, uh, renown they have now with this, the kind of stuff that they, you know, like with Hades by the, by the time of their most recent project, like, it's like, Oh, wow. Everybody loves Hades game of the year. Like that kind of stuff. There's a sort of like ramp up towards that. And transistor was a very important part of that. Yeah. I it's, yeah, it's, it's a weird year. It's fun to look back on because of it, but I think it was also because it was the first year of the, at the time new generation the ps4 and xbox one so it's, it felt like a definitely yeah. like a transition year of uh not a transistor year a transition year <laughs> i mean it was in some ways uh but yeah the 20 2014 you you would think the the year after new consoles hit that there would be like that exclamation point like oh like things have been out for a, for a full year this is our first like big holiday season and a lot of the, like the first party titles weren't there. You're seeing like those uh, Shadow of Mordor's and uh, I mean, Destiny's a, a huge game. Um, that what what that came out in like September or so, something like that. that year? Like, yeah, close Des- Destiny is oh, interesting yeah. though, right? Because in its earliest earliest months, it was a game that drew a huge amount of attention, but also mm-hmm. constant criticism. Um, I mean, I remember it clearly because I was playing it so much at that time, but it was just a, this like hotbed of conversation. It, it partially because it was one of the first of, you know, we have now more of these kind of living games that are changing week to week and, and, you know, that kind of stuff. But, um, it, it was, a even that was not, you know, we think of destiny as this like mainstay thing or destiny two now as this mainstay part of the gaming landscape. Um, but at the time it was just getting off of, off the ground. And a lot of people rightfully had a lot of concerns about the way it was structured and its end game and all that stuff um, for that whole stretch of the first six months after it launched. Yeah. You could, you could almost draw some parallels between uh, destiny and transistor. Like destiny is Bungie's first big game after leaving the halo franchise and then doing like that same thing over and over for uh for what like over a decade and uh showing what what else they can do um but also like keeping to what they know a bit but also stretching out into uncomfortable spaces and uh yeah i think that's i i really like destiny uh not not to really make this a a destiny (laughs) podcast all of a sudden but um i yeah, it was it was strange to to see the kind of flack that it got early on. Um, it was the first like high profile live service game, like as as Matt was alluding to, and uh, yeah, I, I I'm happy 
to see where it is today. Um, I, I, I think that de where destiny two is currently is, is a very cool place. And well, it's, yeah, it's, we wouldn't have gotten there without 2014. Absolutely. It was a, you earlier talked about the idea of it being a transition year for a lot of things related to gaming, including these, um, at the time, relatively new consoles. And, you know, I think almost any game that came out during that period, um, whether it was something that's like still effectively running like Destiny or something like Transistor was um, was in this strange space of like, okay, well, we've got these new machines. What can we do with them? Uh, how do, you know, I think in general, new major platforms tend to spur innovations in gameplay as well, just because you get developers who start getting excited about what they can do and how they can change things up. And um, yeah, Transistor was just a, uh, will always live in my mind as this, as this uh, fascinating and fun experiment. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, some of the big movies that came out this year, uh, for those of you that like to take a trip to see the, the, the talkies, you know, the old time, mm -hmm. we, we still call them that, right? Talkies. Yeah. yeah. Oh, in yeah. The biz, in the biz, that's what we call them. All oh, right, right, right. Of course. Um, of course, the uh, best picture winner of this year was uh, Birdman, the uh, Michael Keaton kind oh, of man. ensemble film. Mm -hmm. uh, another, uh, in terms of superhero stuff, we got uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, which I think a lot of people consider up there, top tier MCU film. Uh, we good. got the first Guardians of the Galaxy as well as uh, The Amazing Spider-Man 2 and X-Men Days of Future Past. Uh, some other big films were Gone Girl, Edge of Tomorrow, the first John Wick, uh, Whiplash, It Follows, and uh, probably the best one, honestly, of these uh, is uh, Scooby-Doo, A WrestleMania Mystery, <laughs> which was uh, uh, an animated classic from what I remember watching it at the time. I was like, oh, look, at that's The Undertaker hanging out with Scooby-Doo. Who would have? Who would have ever thought the ultimate crossover? Uh, Marcus and I fit like if there's a Venn diagram of people who would watch Scooby-Doo and uh, a WrestleMania, like it's a perfect circle for us. You see, like, I don't there's... even like Scooby-Doo. And I think I, I've gotten flack for this. We're like, you it was one of those shows. Scooby-Doo is like the Tootsie Roll of, of cartoons. We're like, I would never like, I don't like Tootsie Rolls, but if there's nothing else, I'll eat it. Yeah. <laughs> that was Scooby-Doo yeah. for me. Uh, but if you put uh, like Randy Orton in there, they're like, okay, I, this looks dumb. I got to watch McMahon this. Vince in a mask. Yeah, probably. exactly. Uh, yeah, I think it was uh, competing with Birdman for best picture that year. Uh, and in terms of uh, major world events, in terms of uh, video game news, this was the year that uh, Sony announced PlayStation Now, which as of 2022 will be going away for their new uh, tier service. Uh, this was also the year that VR was uh, kind of started to climb a little higher because this is when facebook bought oculus for two billion dollars as well as the year that sony announced project morpheus which would become playstation vr forgot about that name altogether yeah i forgot about that that's wow. what they called it too that's still maybe what if he just left it like that what if it was just playstation morpheus <laughs> that'd be pretty cool I'd, yeah i'd buy it yeah, it has PSM. to come with like cool, cool little round sunglasses on it, though. <laughs> that's what that's just the headset is the round sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> OK, we should that should be PSVR, too. Um, in terms of other acquisition stuff, uh, this is when Microsoft bought Minecraft for two point five billion and uh, Amazon bought Twitch for nine hundred and seventy million, which seems like a steal in hindsight. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a low number. And in terms of some just general world events, this is uh, the year that uh, Microsoft ended support 
for Windows XP, which we all oh, still people were that. pissed. Oh, yeah, this was a thing. I was upset. I missed that boot up sound to this. I day was I was working. I believe I was working in retail at the time and people were not happy about it. <laughs> they complained to you specifically. They yeah. Said, this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, this was the year also that one the One World Trade Center building opened in New York City. Uh, which is, you know, where the old World Trade Center used to be, or roughly. And also the year that the uh, United States resumed diplomatic relations with Cuba. Finally, we did it. Uh, so yeah, 2014, folks, a year that is near and dear to all of our hearts. And the, the rest of our episode is all about how Transistor is really a commentary on that Cuba-U.S. relations thing, right? Right. Gonna, I believe... Yeah, Obama sent a copy of Transistor to, to Cuba's <laughs> government and said, hey, listen, this, this is the All thing right, that Raul, here you go. Yeah, this is what we could be trading in if you, you know, if we got on the phone more often, you know? <clears throat> Thanks, Transistor. You see, Red <laughs> losing her voice is... <laughs> yeah, yeah. ...is all about... Our, our, uh, yeah, our, our diplomatic uh, There's a silence Cuban Missile Crisis commentary in that game somewhere, I believe. Sure. <laughs> Great. Uh, and we've we've gone on with this entirely too long. <laughs> so, well, on that note, John, why don't you kick us off? Let's sure. uh, dive into some of the uh, the yeah, making of me, let me switch over to my notes here. Yeah. Uh, so Supergiant finished Bastion actually a couple of months before it released. Uh, There's a lot of certification and stuff that had to go on with uh, with XBLA and like the Summer of Arcade. That game didn't launch until July, and they finished it, I think, in May or so. Yeah. Um, so they kind of chilled out for a few months, which is kind of kind of nice they and did unheard the, of. They did days. what I did as a good student, or I finished the assignment really early, and then uh -huh. they were the kid in class when you take a test and they finish the test first, and they really make it known that they did, cause you, or you hear them turn the page for everybody else. Then you're like, oh man, John, John's almost done. <laughs> I'm still on question three. <laughs> Yeah, that's how I was for tests, and now for homework, I'm I take all the time I can. <laughs> um, so yeah, they they didn't start actually pre-producing uh, Transistor, what would become Transistor, until like September of that year. Um, and unlike Bastion, it seems like they had quite a bit more trouble nailing down what Transistor was going to be. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, unlike Bastion, it had a pre-production phase. <laughs> Right, like so. Here, here's the things that that have changed since they that since they released Bastion. They are a, a full team of seven people and growing. Uh, they have an office for the first time. They're not working out of Amir Rao's house or his, his dad's house. Um, so they're kind of learning to work as a team in an office, but also trying to like hit lightning in a bottle again. Yeah. Um, so as they were developing a new idea for Transistor, they wanted to they like obviously Bastion was a was a big thing for them, but they wanted to steer away from a lot of what Bastion was and uh, a lot of the solutions that they used for Bastion in fears of like the game being too close to what that was. Yeah, it also felt like an aggressive pivot of like almost anything that we did for Bastion, we cannot do for Transistor like on principle basically <laughs> yeah if it was like we solved a really good problem uh for like a situation we can't do that again we have to find new solutions <laughs> and yeah. like, okay i guess do it because yeah they would say the, the financially safe thing to do would be to just make bastion 2 right uh 
Right. Yeah. Continue on with that story. Make one of those choices like a canon choice and 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 move on with it. Uh, yeah. I, I feel they're. That that each of their games being like a standalone thing has has really been successful for them, obviously. Uh, but like uh, we talked about it in the last episode, but even just playing Bastion after playing some Hades and you could really see the through lines and like the combat and the weapons and, and all of that. Um, I feel like that's just really been a, a better, uh, a better path for the studio. Um, and it, it all lays its foundation, I guess with, with transistor um, in taking that leap to do something different. So instead of uh, a fantasy driven, whimsical, uh, world that we had with Bastion, they wanted to go with like a, a sci-fi cyberpunk uh, love story. Yeah, and uh, so they kind of started out with those uh, with those little building blocks there, and the the story was originally supposed to be about a like a boxer. Uh, it was a dude who just like, I mean they they wanted the main character to. Well, a look cool, um, punch things hard. <laughs> he was, uh, <laughs> uh, he's like their 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 inspirations for him were like uh, characters from like Street Fighter or from anime, like just cool boxer dudes. Yeah, he almost gave me like a like a raging bull vibe. Maybe not yeah. like as depressing, but like <laughs> 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 sort of like that tough, but maybe like kind of down on his luck boxer guy like matt have you seen the uh the concept art for the original boxing character and you have any no i've never it? seen that okay yeah if you watch the um you know we watched the uh the no clip documentary on this sure. game which is really awesome if you check it out if you haven't seen it but yeah they show like a lot of a uh, character art and it's kind of like a like a basically like a dude in, like a tank top he's got his taped fist he's got like a jacket over his shoulders like really old school like what you would think right, of right. like this this gritty boxing guy <laughs> he kind of looks like uh, have you have you watched the batman yet yeah, he kind of looks like Alfred, but like younger and like his arms are like wrapped up um, right. just like that, that like stylish boxer dude, almost like Dudley. I guess. He kind of looks like like Dudley. What from, is it with the, oh, like, I think I know I was going to say, like, why do the, why is the classic boxer thing to have your jacket on, but not your sleeves? Or I was like, oh, it's probably because you, you can't fit this right. You can throw your jacket off easily. But then why even wear a jacket in the first place? Unless you're just I don't know. It could be like a distraction. You could throw it on someone and then punch that's him true. Or, or, it's like, or it's like a cape you think you're okay. a superhero yes you, that's what yugi does and yeah he wears his jacket <laughs> like that which he must be a boxer when he's not playing the card games <laughs> yeah like, like a good joke the, for that it's wild because like the on top of having the boxer you were gonna have a, a another character who was a companion who was a woman who was a lounge singer who like was basically a not a ghost or like a weird yeah she she was kind of a ghost like she was dead uh she That's was right, yeah, she, she was voiceless she was like this dude's girlfriend and uh yeah through like developing that character uh like things just weren't gelling like the the team wasn't too sold on on this character uh and and the the direction that they were going with uh like the combat and all of that and it kind of came down to um like great great Kasavin talks about it in in that no clip documentary but he and uh uh he and Gen Z the the 
uh, artist for uh, Super Giants games. Uh, they were talking on like either to or from an E3 uh, before Bastion even released about like different story pitches. And one of them was about a like a bartender uh, who fell like a, a, a lady bartender who fell in love with a wizard who had come in. Um, and the, as the yeah, as you do as um, classic bartender wizard <laughs> storyline, you know. Yeah. How many bartenders do you think in the world? They were like they were like so many people have done the bartender wizard storyline, though. So this this is like one of the classic <laughs> archetypes, right? That's like right. The yeah. heroes. I do see a lot of horror stories. <laughs> yeah, wizards do tend to frequent bars in my restaurant <laughs> experience. <laughs> so. uh, it's, you know, uh, wizard meets girl. Wizard gets stabbed with uh, demonic blade. Uh, wizard dies and his soul goes into demonic blade. And uh bartender uses the blade to seek revenge yeah. uh that, that was kind of the the story that they had worked out just randomly on an e3 trip and they're like hey if we plug in these characters in these specific places we could kind of make that happen within the world that we've created for transistor yeah, because it sounded like they were like you mentioned, Greg and Jen were super passionate about that idea, but shelved it. And then when they were working on their boxer concept, like like you mentioned before, the team just was not feeling where the story was going. But it almost felt like they were forcing themselves to make it work because, like you said before, everything had to be different from Bastion. Right. And so like Craig kept going back to that original idea, but like being like, well, we can't use that because that's a fantasy storyline. If we're not, we cannot do another fantasy game. How do you make something like that work in sci-fi? Like it's something that that magical. And they're hearing the um hearing them tell that story, I, I was surprised in my mind. I remember always wondering if like the character Katana from DC had an influence. Yeah, like Matt, you probably know, oh, right? Because sure. like, that's like her thing of like she sure. has like a, a blade that has like her dead husband. Of course, there. woman meets so, wizard. Yeah, she Katana met him at a bar when she was a bartender. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I was I was wondering in the back of my mind, like, oh, I wonder if they, anyone there was like a fan of that character. But it sounds like uh, at least that wasn't the direct influence that I thought it was. I mean, it goes, it goes back to what we were talking about a little bit before, which is that like, I think whether you think Transistor is one of Supergiant's best games or not, is maybe irrelevant to its importance to the studio and to its future, right? Because these sorts of things that we're talking about, right? Like the the things that were like, okay, well, we can't do another fantasy game, right? That decision right there that that, that small group of people at some point made was pivotal for them because had Transistor moved forward and it was like a wizard and a, you know, fantasy medieval kind of setting sort of thing, I think that would have become part of like one of the ingredients of like, oh, well, it's a super giant game. They do fantasy, whimsical fantasy games. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and they didn't do that. And in so doing th that, that metric of like, okay, the, the setting, the time period, that's not what makes it a core super giant thing, but the vibrant art, right? Like that does, right? Um, and, and and other things that like maybe didn't fundamentally become like it has to be this, but like think about like the the isometric viewpoint, right? Which uh, not everything and every part of every future game would be all isometric, but the isometric view stuff is certainly very core to what Supergiant does. 
Yeah, three of and their four games are isometric. Exactly. And so, you know, the fact that they made that decision and they're like, you know, and they were like, well, we can't have it be like Bastion, but uh, we really like this way of presenting the game, right? It, it, that it, then became a thing that was like yeah. that, that I see that as a super giant game. And, and uh, I'm fascinated by that stuff. That That whole like landing on isometric again was was kind of a, a big deal for them in like they tried a bunch of different like viewpoints for this game and like different camera angles but then like eventually they they workshopped it enough where the, they're like all right this is the perfect isometric angle for this game and it was almost exactly the same as bastions yeah then they say like it, it took like twice as long to come up with the same solution yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> because they were just they were just fighting themselves so much with it yeah. it's like we don't we don't want it to be bastion but like there are a lot of smart ideas that are like the perfect solution that they've already worked out. So, yeah, um, that's kind of the, the story of this is we'll go on with this game is that uh, out of all the games they made, Transistor's kind of the one that had the roughest development and sounded like it was the least fun <laughs> maybe mm -hmm. to work on in a yeah. lot of ways because because of like that pressure of you know following up Bastion, but also forcing themselves to not be pigeonholed into like we're just the bastion people <laughs> um but then also like do, like we mentioned all the new stuff like well we have pre-production now and we're starting with a staff instead of finding people and all all that stuff and then doing like an rpg basically like a, a sort of kind of turn-based like tactics c game and like trying to figure out how do we do one of those that isn't just like a you know, like, oh, we're just making our own like fire emblem thing, right? I mean, I'm I'm sure we'll talk a bunch about the individual mechanics and stuff, but I I honestly like when you look at it through that lens and you play through that game. I went back ahead of this recording and mm -hmm. and played the first couple hours again of Transistor and yeah, same. And it was uh, it's it's really really interesting to me how much you can see those those like gears grinding like I, I can almost imagine the development studio sitting there with exactly the thought patterns that you're talking about john where where they were like oh we got to do things different we got to try new things right and there's constantly as you play this game there's constantly things where you're like oh this is like a new thing they're trying here right i've never seen anybody do that before and then in a lot of cases i think the biggest criticism for me that i can level at the game is that a lot of those ideas don't ever get fully fleshed out, right? Mm. They don't fully come to, um, like, instead of having, like, a single focused idea, there's, like, these, there's a bunch of ideas, and no, n there's not any one of them that, like, totally, totally works, um, maybe. Like, uh, I, I think the closest thing to that, 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 like, feels like it really gets to a place that it works is the whole, like, the functions, right? Mm. The way you're kind of combining right. yeah. different different um, uh, powers in interesting ways. That feels ultimately like probably the most fully fleshed out of the various things that they're they're doing. But there's some other things about like the pause and play gameplay and the world itself that they're building out that you're like, okay, well, I want more, and then they just there's not it's not there. Right, like it never fully comes into its own, at least for me. Yeah, the gameplay is interesting because it's so, but yeah, like the idea of this game being a lot more mechanically dense mm -hmm. than uh, Bastion was, and being this, this turn-based game that was designed basically around the core of like 
you know, the player can select commands and do what they want, but how do we make it so like how do you know when it's the opponent's turn without making it turn based? Basically, like when do they get to do something? And like the idea of being able to pause the game and move around to set up attacks because you can attack freely, you can run around and attack freely. You know, you mm. have like cooldown meters that manage stuff, but by and large, you can just move around and do what you want. But the idea of being able to pause the game and and, and set up different combos and line up attacks, but then also when things cool down, that at least to me, that's see like that's sort of when it's their turn in a more organic way because you can't do anything and they can do everything. <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, I, I think that might be one of the reasons why I dropped it originally was I wanted it to be one or the other. Okay. And it's like, uh, yeah, it is like a middle ground between. Yeah. And, and like yeah. a lot of the press, I believe leading up to it, if I'm remembering correctly, was like, we're doing turn-based stuff. And it was like, they would show off a lot of the, the, the turn-based combat and like plotting out your, your choices, kind of like an XCOM situation. And when like in, in practice, it's it's more. Like you do the real time stuff uh, sometimes um, like when you when you're not doing the, the turn based aspect, I don't, like it's it's a it's a messy combat system and it's hard to explain. I wonder, though, because like I feel like today it would be more acceptable because I was wondering, like, is it that much different than like what Final Fantasy seven remake did? Like, you know, it, it's a 3D version of it, but it's kind of like Final Fantasy VII Remake. You're, it's like an action game until it's not. Like, when you choose to it's, manually pause the game and then, like, I'm going to pick Fyra and then, yeah. like, unleash my attacks. But other than that, you're just running around. I, I and, think th what, what makes it messy in my mind is I could do all of these attacks in real time, but if I do the the focus mode then it costs me my action bar and I can't do that focus mode again. Um, right. There, there's like, like some, a, a some disconnect. Yeah. So like, it, yeah, it's, it's like 85% of the way there for me. And like, like trying it out again last week was, I, it clicked with me a little bit more, but yeah, it's, I don't know. There, there's something about the, the combat system that just doesn't fully work for me. Um, but I, I do find it very interesting still. I, I think you're right, Marcus, in pointing out the idea that um, there were things about it that have since been done in very similar ways. Um, I don't know if I don't know if Transistor deserves credit for that or not. Maybe, you know, it's always hard to know uh, in the that grand scheme of the way that development ideas and, and design ideas hop from one developer to another. A lot of that stuff probably happens subconsciously for developers as they you know they play the things that they're they're interested in and then it slowly seeps into the games that they make yeah. who knows maybe there was somebody who was working on the combat team for final fantasy 7 remake and was like oh i played this really fascinating north american indie game called transistor and maybe there was some of that but there's also there was like She's got a um, big sword, just like Cloud. Just like Cloud, <laughs> I know it. You know, like, uh, then again, I would guarantee you that there are people over at the Supergiant team that would credit Final Fantasy as, as an influence, right? Mm. So uh, that, that give and take is always hard to trace. But I do think, uh, ultimately, there were things about Transistor that were probably a little bit ahead of its time. Um, yeah. They just maybe in some cases weren't fully fleshed out or weren't working yet the way that they 
Um, they could have if if they had, um, I don't know, maybe had a little bit more focus. Right. Um, I do think you know one of the thing, one of the other aspects of the game that I thought was really interesting that I remember noting in my review uh, as being like this could have been frustrating, but it was actually really cool is the way that it pushed you towards experimenting with all these different powers that you could get. Yeah. Right? Like the idea that you'd like take, I think it was like taking damage, right? Um, like every time you, yeah, you took damage or every time you died, you would lose a function. Yeah. Until you got to like a, one of the- like your points. highest cost function or something too? Like it was very specific. Yeah, like the the ones that go are the ones that you use the most. And so yeah. You, like you're left with the ones you barely use. And, and, and it- <laughs> it was really cool. Uh, I mean, like, I, at least for me, I remember thinking, like, right at first, I was like, "Oh no, this is gonna, this is gonna tick me off." But it was a really interesting way to encourage because they had a lot of these powers, these functions, or whatever, and the ways you could combine them were. I mean, there were a lot of ways you could combine these different powers and come up with like cool things that you could have Red do in battle, and to have them kind of picked away at, and then you were forced to experiment and mm. at least for me i remember the i mean i played through that game two or three times at least and um i remember it became this way that i would be like i would discover whole new play styles that were kind of almost forced upon me because you know i got into a hard stretch or whatever and i i'd lost some of my the things that i was like my mainstays of like oh i always use this power to like clear out ranged enemies and then it was gone so i had to like rethink the way that i would approach the combat um, and I think from a strategic and a tactical layer, that was the thing that that really impressed me with the game. Um, yeah. Because okay. any time, I, I think that's one of the dilemmas in tactical games, right? Is that you, early on, you hit on things that work, and then you just kind of, well, I'll do that. Because yeah. <laughs> right? why, why wouldn't you? Like, why unless you're going to you? take it away from me, I'm just going to do that. <laughs> exactly. So you you get stuck in a rut and and even though there's more items or weapons or powers or whatever the core like thing is that you're acquiring, you don't do anything with that stuff because you've got a way like, well, I've got my freeze sword, so I could do this guy who goes up and he freezes guys and then my other guy who hits really hard against frozen enemies, he comes around and backstabs him. I yeah. do that all the time, right? And then that's just your thing and you get like 15 other swords and it doesn't matter because you don't want to abandon it. Transistor makes you abandon it. And at first you're like, oh, that's frustrating. But then you realize that the, like, there's all these fun other ways to play. And it becomes this, it's a, it's a feature, not a drawback. Yeah, I wonder if like, because I feel like that's always been the biggest problem with games that have like substantially large arsenals is like, once I find one thing or one or two things, by and large, I'm probably just going to stick with that just because, like, it's more work to be like, well, I'm going to, like, I, you know, like, not to get into tangent, but, like, I had that with Horizon of, like, I just want to, I just want one really good bow. I'm getting too many bows. They all do too many different things. And I, it takes time to, like, go through the inventory. Be like, well, I need my acid bow now, I guess, for this. Like, just give me the Omni bow or, like, <laughs> one. I want the best version of every weapon and that's it. And I'm always... Uh, now think about it i'm almost surprised a little bit that other at least other games that i've seen haven't done the transistor thing of forcing you to because you know they the closest thing most games do is like oh there's enemies that are resistant to maybe things that you can do so that forces you to change your strategy which is mm. fine too but uh hearing amir talk about the combat in, in the in the documentary and hearing him verbalize of like how like he wasn't like frustrated with the idea like we said of 
coming up with all these because transistor apparently has like three thousand possible function combinations and but like him designing it he said like oh like because he knows how gamers are too like people are probably going to use like three of these like three combinations that they really like and that's okay because like but he wanted to get around that but like hearing him talk about the dilemma of like games give you you know they give you the fun thing and like even if you're it's on paper maybe for a design standpoint kind of boring that you're doing the same thing over and over but like it's fun so like as a designer to suddenly yank that away but like no the thing that you've been liking you can't do it anymore <laughs> and wondering like is that good should we be doing that um but like i guess like having a degree of faith in the player like they'll find we know there's other cool things that they could be doing and we have faith that they'll latch on to something else because we're forcing them to and i'm with you miller like i love that system because again i found things in that game that i was like oh i didn't know i could do this but because of like this is what i have to work with i guess i'll combine these two and it made a cool thing it's like oh i'm gonna use this all the time now like thanks transistor and like the other thing i love about the combat system too is having the upgrades for the functions tied to the character development because like the, the like narratively the idea is that the uh the bad guys trapped a bunch of the like noteworthy citizens like basically their souls into the functions and so like every time you get one they're all like you unlock them like three different times and like every tier gives you more of that person's backstory so it's like oh uh, this like race race car guy he seems interesting. I want to learn more about him. I better use his power until I lock it up, unlock it all the way. And at least for me, that was like a really good motivator where like I unlocked pretty much all of them. So I was like, I was, I thought they were all fascinating to learn about. And Red herself too is tied to those. Uh, what'd you guys think about that? Like pretty much using lore as a carrot to use the stuff. Well, you're, you're touching on the, the, one of the probably biggest things that I think we haven't talked about, which is that this, this setting and the, and the story itself, I mean, that those, uh, um, those individual characters that you encounter that are literally like the powers that you collect um, are, are a really fascinating way to integrate like gameplay with story, right? Like that's what worked about it for me. I, I don't know about you, Marcus, but like mm-hmm. that, that meeting point that you were, you're seeing, uh, well, to use your example, I, I find a race car guy, right? He's all about being fast. And then he's got, a, you get a power that's like speeds things up or whatever, right? Like it was that kind of thing that I um, grounded gameplay in storytelling that I really, I dig. And I think Supergiant as a, as a general rule has always done that very well. Um, but they also, I mean, I always felt with Transistor that even after having played it multiple times that I've only ever scratched the surface of the setting that they created. Yeah. Um, and and I don't know if that's a point of frustration for me or fascination. Um, I I always have felt like, oh, wow, this was... So, I mean, what was the name of the city? Cloud Bank? Cloud Bank. Cloud Bank. Yeah. Yeah, like... Like I want it more cloud bank, right? I wanted to understand the space more and I wanted to understand what was even happening here. Was this a real world? Was this like a Tron world? You know, like that was where I ultimately came to like, this is some sort of like computerized experience that like, you know, there's sentient 
programs kind of, I don't know, you know, um, but as it is, you, you encounter the world uh, when it's, it's not that world anymore, almost, right? Like yeah. all the things that have happened have taken it to the brink of like not existing in its original form anymore. Um, and so there's this constant sense of uh, like, I want to understand, I want to see more, I want to meet these characters, but you don't ever get to, right? Yeah. You're only touching the remnants of the people who were there, the remnants of the city that once was. Um, yeah. I think that's really cool, but I, I it always leaves me sort of longing for more. Yeah, I think it might be my favorite setting that they've done. And hearing them talk about it, it sounded like it was not easy because uh like here listening to gen z talk about designing it because uh sh how she in her mind she thinks that uh designing sci-fi is a lot harder than than fantasy because like basically with fantasy you can kind of do what you want right it's fantasy you can just make up items and, and rules for things where sci-fi is grounded in reality for the most part of like it's like at its core it's like here's like a super futuristic version of a thing that already exists <laughs> So here's, like, here's what a mailbox looks like. It has to look like a mailbox. Yeah, like there's just more preconceived expectations of what things like. Yeah, like like, like what is the I know what a mailbox does. So what's a future version of a mailbox, yeah. <laughs> you know, and like even here listening to her talk about like designing the works. I think that world is gorgeous. Like I love looking at the the architecture and stuff. So it was surprising to hear that she hates drawing buildings and that she had to do that for the game. And I, I maybe because as an artist for me, like I always like drawing buildings. So I, I give her props like, yeah, that's some good, some good building design. But even hearing like the practical stuff of like, Oh, the buildings, they were afraid if they were too tall, they would obscure or hide like elements of the, the combat arena. So that's why they're pretty short, uh, which I never really noticed until I went back. Like, yeah, I guess they are you can kind of see the tops of pretty much all of them right except for the ones way in the in the background art um but yeah like it's it, it, like a, that world like for as much as i guess like strife it seems if caused that they they pulled it off <laughs> we could touch on the uh i would love to touch on the soundtrack yeah um so the soundtrack kind of once again led to a lot of the flavor of the game uh darren korb uh is once again uh doing the soundtrack for this um but because there is like because red is a uh uh well she's she's a she's a popular musical artist in this world yeah like a lamb um, singer yeah the like the entire soundtrack is tracks that like it, it is all of Red's music that's already been that's already been uh, performed and composed and all of that. And it's kind of filling in. Uh, it's it's the backdrop of of Transistor itself. Um, it's a it's a very cool piece of world building uh, that all of this is your voiceless main character uh, that's that's performing all the music. Yeah. Yeah, it gives you it gives a sense of uh, um, because she is voiceless, that's what makes it significant, right? Mm. If her songs then become the way that you get insight into her as a character mm. and they time them very well uh, so that there's this sort of sort of a gradual character development that happens musically. I mean, it's a fascinating structure. Um, 
the 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 singer who's who's lost their voice you know certainly has little like little mermaid overtones there yes. but uh, i'm like that which is a you know a, a children's story here it's it's uh um it's used in a really powerful way to um tell you something about the character at at very specific moments right and and tell you something about the world at very specific moments um and meanwhile they leverage the um a, a variation of what they did you know obviously bastion had that that uh was was at the time really unique around that whole narration system that mm -hmm. it, it used um and this was another one of those things where it was like okay what is super giant's identity with transistor you had you have to believe that they had a part of them that was like maybe we should just have a narrator again right maybe we should just have them be like uh every time red turns a corner uh there's a voice that's like talking about that and and then they like they found a variation on that right with that the 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 implement of destruction that she's using also carries this soul within it that's that's constantly communicating to her and and that becomes the voice like the the weapon itself becomes the voice that um that contextualizes the world and acts as a guide um again i mean just like really really fun and interesting and unusual approaches um to integrating sound and and storytelling into the gameplay um and so it was another one of those things that uh just made me be like wow these guys are like they're doing really interesting stuff yeah the team told an interesting story about the sword stuff where apparently like again to avoid the ghost of bastion they were like, well, we don't want to do the narrator thing because that's Bastion's thing. Um, but we also need to be able to communicate a story because our protagonist is silent. Yeah. So, you know, they came up with the, like you mentioned, the, the transistor character. But apparently, you know, in the early, I guess, testing of that, uh, they were putting it in front of people and a lot of people, like especially journalists, they heard the voice coming from the sword and immediately thought like, oh, you guys are doing the narration thing again. Oh, cool. And they were just like, no, <laughs> like, <laughs> because at the time the sword didn't fla flash when it talked, which it does in the game. So it was unclear where the voice was coming from. And so that was like a big thing we're trying to figure out. Like, how do we, like, how can we convey that it's the sword talking and not just this omni present voice. And it wasn't, I, I think it went on for a while before I think it was it, it turned out to be like a pretty big like engineering feat for them to to make the the voice or to make the sword pulse with the the sound of uh like to the same Cunningham's voice the, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah which it's it's one of those things where like when you see it in the game it's it almost feels minor like you see you're like oh of course yeah that's that's how that would yeah, work yeah it's very natural <laughs> but like any again knowing or not knowing anything like I've done coding I'm terrible at it so like making a square appear on the screen is a Herculean feat for me but like even relatively you're like oh that's probably not a big ask right but they the way they told her like no like you mentioned like that was not easy to, <laughs> to get to work um but it's one of those smart touches they're like oh yeah you know as soon as we put it in front of people again they're like oh yeah that's the sword talking clearly uh so that's how they got around that problem but talking about the I guess like the music in general, like Transistor. I love Supergiant soundtracks. They, along with their art, I think they are so consistent. Where like all of their games, I love listening to. Transistor is my favorite soundtrack, pretty much with a bullet. Like it is one that wow. I regularly listen to for years. I listened to it again even last night to get ready for this. Get in the um, mood. 
yeah like that that main theme the spine is so good uh like my favorite song out, out of it actually is um sandbox which is the um it's the song that plays when you go to like the beachy area if you remember oh, yeah. yeah yeah i totally. really love that song it's yeah. it's so relaxing um but there's it's just a, a lot of bangers if you've never listened to the soundtrack you should hear it but like apparently darren corb struggled with the sound for this game where he, he said in a in Kim's write-up, uh, the uh, the uh, story behind uh, Supergiant's transistor on GameInformer.com, which you should check out, uh, he talked about how it took him six months of experimenting before he landed on Transistor's general sound, and he described it as, quote, a hair-pulling, frustrating experience. <laughs> because he just couldn't figure out how to write music from a specific character's perspective, especially when that character is a singer. Because it's like it just added more responsibility to what the soundtrack would be if the character herself is a a musical artist, right? Sure. And you know the stuff with like because you know they got a Ashley Barrett to provide Red's singing voice, uh, and she she uh, performed on a uh, Build That Wall from Bastion. Mm-hmm. So you know fans are already familiar with her work, and she has like a lot more <laughs> like singing credits in Transistor because yeah. there's a lot more just like full actual songs apparently they just kept on like she thought it was going to be like another one-off thing and they kept on handing her more and more music to sing <laughs> like all right this is like, going to be a much bigger job yeah wasn't she like recording out of like corpse closet yeah uh yeah there's a story from her that like corpse in another room they're running like uh, a cable to corpse closet and she's just like in front of a wall of shirts and like converses and like just, yeah, she's it, she's like I memorized this closet pretty much by the yeah. the end of it, like the contents of it and where everything it, was. It sounds Corp- like a classic makeshift recording studio. <laughs> yeah, because Corb worked remotely. He was in New York. He wasn't really in the office like he yeah. was with. Um, you know, same story for Bastion. And even hearing the stuff about um her talking about the hummings, that's another big thing with Red is that she hums a lot, and that's really the only way you hear her for pretty much the the entire game. And how like even that was a a bit more involved than you would think just like having her hum like her talk about multiple takes of like finding the right pitch and also to convey a specific emotion of like you know she'll hum when you go into the uh the the pause state during combat yeah the focus mode and talking about like what's the right pitch to like convey that she's thinking about what she's gonna do right and yeah, it's something you would not think about. Like you hear her humming, you're like, oh, that's nice. But like, oh, she's going for like a, oh, what's a contemplative hum? <laughs> you know, like I'm thinking about how I can kill this thing in the most efficient way possible. And her talking about how she was getting requests after the fact from people that are like, hey, you should, we would love just the whole soundtrack with you humming, which actually exists. There are <laughs> oh, like, wow. there is a separate version of the Transistor soundtrack that has the same songs, but they're, she's humming over all of them. <laughs> uh, so that exists out there for all you you humming heads, and I have also listened to that thing in its entirety. <laughs> That's like me with the Fooly Cooly soundtrack. I'll, I'll listen to every version of it: instrumental, vocal, weird remixes. I'll hum to the the transistor soundtrack. I've, I'm absolutely guilty of humming to <laughs> a lot of those songs well, in a in a similar manner. Not as good, probably, but you know, I get the official hums. Well, I also like that in in game you could I mean, again. I, I'm trying to remember exactly how it worked, but there was a button for hum, right? Yes, it would. Like hum you could to literally like, like you could stop doing what you're doing and just like I'm just gonna hum for a while. I think that's probably the only 
hum button in the history of gaming. <laughs> uh, I hope somebody be. can correct me. And I mean, and, that was another weird, like, I would have to imagine, like, the blinking sword thing. Like, that had to be harder to pull off than you would think. Because she would hum to the tune of whatever was playing in the world, right? And, like, she yeah. would pick it up right where the song was yeah and it's like i don't know what again what you do to make you would you would almost have to like have both versions of the music running at the same time and like crossfade it in yeah somehow like it's almost like unpausing it right yeah Yeah. she's technically always humming probably but it was still i mean it was again it it speaks to one of super giant strengths and i think i think you could apply this metric across every one of the games that you guys are going to talk about and you talk about the history of this studio is that they they're fascinated by that that integration point between gameplay and, and, and like player interactions and gameplay and storytelling, uh, like world building stuff, right? Mm. They're constantly looking for ways to leverage that like, this is a video game. This is a thing that you interact with. And it is simultaneously this like rich story and setting and, and, uh, and they're, they're constantly thinking about that when they make their games you can tell that they are because the final products always have things like that i mean it it sounds like such a little thing except here we are talking about it years later that you had a hum button right and it made you feel things right it made you feel more engaged with the music of that game world uh in turn it made you because red was a singer and a musician it made you feel more connected to her as a character um it made you understand her as a certain type of sort of contemplative person who, you know, was was feeling disconnected from her core self over the course of what was happening in that story. I mean, like all that stuff, I mean, even if it's subconscious and you're not thinking about it directly that way, that there's a part of your brain that was getting that uh, through this very simple decision that, by the way, like you, you were talking about, probably was really hard to implement. And it took a lot of work for something that some people, some people probably didn't care about at all. But I did, uh, and I thought it was really neat. Yeah, I still think it's neat. Like playing it again in twenty twenty two. Yeah. Like it's it's been what like eight years since I've touched the game, and like seeing just like the yeah those those little those little flourishes that they add uh, to just build out the world a little bit more, uh, like the humming, like the uh the character backgrounds on all of the functions like that's that little stuff is just fun to to see fun to look at fun to listen to and really just makes the the experience more enjoyable yeah even the coding theme with the the attacks like everything is based off real programming language like even that little touch for people that are familiar with that like you pick up i'm like oh i i know what that is (laughs) and stuff that's that's awesome and it's it's wild because like even with all those good ideas like we mentioned like the team was so afraid of this game like they were so afraid that they had like a dud (laughs) on their hands and that it was too weird and and just not bastion right where they were talking about even like leading up to because this game came out uh 2014 Mm. they showed it off at pax 20 pax east 2013 and they talked about how like days before even they were supposed to show it that they considered canceling it because they were that terrified of putting it in front of people and they're like you know like maybe we should just maybe we just abandon this maybe we just you know what if this like kills the studio basically right like and and you could you could completely understand that that frame of mind too it's like 
there there's so many times I'll I'll write something and I'm like, I don't know if like this is actually good. And oh, like yeah. like you just spend so much time looking at it and like you know it back and forward, but you don't know how other people are gonna feel about it. And it's really like they they kind of had that thing with with Bastion as well. It was like, what is it going to be like when people actually get it in their hands? Are they going to like it? Well, now yeah. they're doing it again, but they have like people have perceptions of what they've done before. Exactly. And so yeah. now are people going to like are you are a are people going to like this? And B, are people going to like this compared to the thing that we did before? Yeah, and that's that, it's so much pressure. It it is. I mean, it's that classic. We we talked about it in this uh, earlier in the in the conversation that um, that idea of a uh, sophomore album, right? Like you know, lots of musical artists over the years have struggled with this same dilemma. Um, but you got to figure that if you're Super Giant Games, I mean, even if Bastion wasn't necessarily the the biggest, most best selling game when it came out, it certainly won a lot of praise for them, right? Here they were as this indie studio, nobody had seen anything from them, and they came out with this really creative, narrative-driven adventure. It played well, it looked beautiful, it had awesome music. And then after that, you know, the the pressure is absolutely on. Um, like, what do we, uh, what do we do that stands up to that? And what do we do that establishes who we are, right? Um, and Transistor, for, for, all the things it did right and things that you could argue it did wrong, it absolutely um, solidified for people that like, ah, oh, this is super giant now. This is what they are. This is what they're about. This is the way they approach innovation. This is the way they, the things they think are core to their identity. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, I think for me as a sophomore album, if you will, it's a success. Um it it doesn't do absolutely everything right necessarily, but it just feels um, beautiful in its own right, while still in keeping with what um, uh, with what Supergiant had already established they could do well. Right. Uh, yeah. b- before we we kind of move on to some narrative stuff, um, this game did well uh, for Supergiant. Uh, unlike Bastion, Bastion took a, a it was a slow burn uh, to yeah. to get uh some some good sales numbers on bastion but it eventually did uh it took a few months but uh with uh with transistor uh i, I believe it was amir rao who said that within a month uh they could easily uh start working on another game like they they had that that financial security after a month of sales uh of transistor so uh i i that's that's just a testament to uh them solidifying themselves and like their vision and being able to, to ship two quality games in a row. Um, and, and people had the confidence in them to uh, keep buying them. Yeah. Especially because trans to this day, transistor is only, it's only available on three platforms. So at yeah. Launch, that's was- wild to me. I'm like, Oh, this has to be on everything by now. I'm like, Oh, it's, it's on PlayStation. It's on switch and it's on PC. I yeah, guess like it, it launched on PS4 and PC. And it was just that until 2018 when it came to Switch. But other than that, it's never come to Xbox, uh, which was the surprising thing to me when I was like, I had to like double check. It's like, am I reading that right? And I was like, huh. <laughs> and yeah, never it's just that. That's just, that's just where it is. Like, you know, oh, it, like, it is on iOS, isn't it? As well? Oh, yeah, I think it's on iOS. Yeah, but it is. Yeah. Other than that. Yeah. Which actually that's low key a good seems like that'd be a good iPad game. Um, but uh, 
yeah, that's kind of like another testament to how well that thing sold, given the limited uh, places that you could get it on. Yeah. Uh, scored really well from us, too. Matt, you, you gave it a nine. Uh, yeah. And yeah. I, I, you know, sometimes you go back as a person who reviews a product and you're like, ah, I wonder if that was too high or too low. I, I feel good about that nine right now. I, yeah. I, um, I think any problems that I had with with the game or senses that the game maybe like hadn't fully fleshed out this or that idea are overridden by the creativity of it, the art, the music, the um, the sort of mystery of it that you know we've all talked about kind of going back now to it and playing it again. And even now, it's a game that you don't have all the answers to, right? You can play it all the way through, and you're like, I. I still don't know exactly what's happening here, right? But in a good way. Yeah. Um, it, it it has this sort of ethereal quality to it um, that holds up even years later. So, yeah, I think I, it scored well for me. I think it scored pretty well for most places, didn't it? Yeah, pretty much uh, similar scores across the board. As of 2022, it's got an 83 on Metacritic. So it's been, it's been sitting on that uh, pretty high mountaintop. Uh, for the last uh, eight years or however long it's been. Um, so yeah, and like uh, that's a good segue, Matt, about the uh, story and whether or not you comprehended all of it. Because uh, yeah, let's just go over like a, a general overview of what Transistor is really about. Um, like we mentioned before, you're play It stars Red, who's a, a lounge singer who has lost her voice uh, due to a, an attempted assassination attempt in this uh city of cloud bank by this uh group of like wealthy um what do you call them not nobles but like 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 the one percent basically sure uh, yeah called like the camarada and you pretty much get under the radar because you like like they i guess they just consider you sort of a threat just because of some of the things you're singing like maybe you're disrupting the status quo a little bit um so, you know, they send someone with the transistor, which is the big sword, to kill you. But the a man that I, I, I basically like her boyfriend, He's husband, lover, whatever he actually is to her. But definitely like a, a, a lover of some sort um, takes the blow and is killed by the sword. And the sword um, absorbs his consciousness. So now you and him are trying to take down the camarada who are using a uh, like a machine like entity called the process to take over the city but then they lose control of it where the process just it just goes wild to the point where you know because you're hunting down these camarada members one by one and some of them are even sort of apologetic to you of like hey yeah i wasn't really with these guys or this has really gotten out of hand to where this is going to kill this the process is going to kill all of us we should probably maybe work together um you mentioned earlier matt is a great point where uh, eventually the city just gets completely transformed into like i guess it gets processed you could say <laughs> um and you know you meet you know as you're it's weird because like, you only fight like a couple of them because there's like some that just give up. There's uh, two towards the end that kill themselves when you reach them. So you never because they're, you know, things have gotten so bad at that point that they're like, yeah, we're we're checking out. And then you reach a uh, Royce, who's the, like the main leader who offers a truce to like, hey, we we need to work together to get rid of this. And, you know, they use the transistor, which is 
the transistor itself is explained as like a remote control that can manipulate the landscape and the environment. So like we can use that to basically reverse what the process has done. And when you go to do that, it winds up trapping you and Royce inside the sword. And then that's really where the final boss comes in because only one of you can get out. So it's like a, hey, I don't want to fight you, but I have to fight you because only one of us can get out of here. (laughs) So, you, you know, you duel him, you kill him. And, you know, Red does her thing where she reverses everything that happened, but then realizes that she can't restore the guy to his to what he was to his body so instead she just impales herself with the sword and and commits suicide to transfer her mind into the sword to be with him and that's kind of the last thing you see in the game is them embracing inside it's because it's like a digital world it's like an inner world like the the transistor is more than just a weapon it's a it's its own digital it's space. Tron. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and <laughs> the bank itself, right? There's always an implication like are we already in a digital universe and then this is a digital that the transistor itself is a digital universe inside that digital universe. It's hard to That was always hard for me to parse. Um Yeah, is transistor the metaverse? <laughs> maybe. Is th- is this what everyone's it's been talking about? Are Facebook wants to put us inside a sword. Uh, I mean, if they put it that way, uh, maybe I'd be more on board. Uh, two two quick notes. Uh, Royce is a great rich person name. Uh, it is. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's top notch. Royce on, on top ten rich person video game names, it would be up there. This Royce is is real good. Uh, and. I guess that was that was really my only. <laughs> I said two. I was trying. I was gonna make it sound sound good, but uh, no. There's well, only, yeah, well, there's well, only well, one. Well, Matt, is there any? Uh, do you remember any like standout moments from the story? I know you said you were. You seemed like you would liked it, but you didn't love it. I think this. I mean, it's in an unusual place because so much of their storytelling has to be kind of. Um, uh, what's the right word? they had to do it with environment more than hmm. than a lot of classic storytelling. You know, there's a lot less, I mean, with the exception of some of the bad guys who give you some narration, uh, there's a lot less sort of like, okay, well, we walk up to this person and they tell us the story of what happened here, right? Like, it's more things mm-hmm. that are happening that they can present um, through the art and through, uh, you know, weird... Um, presentations of events unfolding right or or you meet these characters that become functions for you and so then you learn about the settings there um and so in my mind although you know like i I think i like i said i went back and replayed some of it um uh so some of these moments are a little bit sharper now but in my mind before i had done that and it had been a few years it, it was it was more sort of like a a mood piece for me in a weird way Right. Like it's less about like distinct storytelling moments. And it was more like, oh, I remember red on the motorcycle. Right. Right. Like yeah. that for me was the storytelling moment. It's uh, a vibe. It's a vibe. Exactly. Yeah, like it's a, it's a it's a mood. It's a it's a sort of atmosphere of, of sort of loneliness in this world. I mean, she's kind of ultimately like with the exception of this this lover who's trapped inside of a weapon. She doesn't have anybody left. She doesn't have anything to hold on to. So she's just out there alone on her motorcycle. And like that, like clicks that works as a, as a storytelling feeling. 
Um, does anything really happen on the motorcycle that I remember? No, it just looks yeah. cool. You, you hit X cool. to go faster. Yeah, you, that's <laughs> true. Exactly. I, I, I do like that a lot. <laughs> um, so I remember that. I, I mean, I think another one like that, we talked about it a little bit earlier, is the beach stuff, right? Occasionally you'd come across the like the the sort of idyllic retreats of these these sort of like beach locations and like that yeah. sticks in my mind as again being the sort of uh mood and and sense of relief and and relaxation and stuff that i i remember really liking um uh yeah uh but but less less individual like oh i love it when we finally get the reveal that so and so is actually so and so like it's not that kind of a game really for me yeah, I think I'm on a similar note because I remember finishing this and going like, that was fine. Like I, there were some points in the story where I was like, I think I know what's happening here, yeah. but like, I feel like I need more to really grasp it. I don't know if I'm getting that or if they're planning to. I, I did like the way it wrapped up, like the actual ending. I remember feeling like, <laughs> this is dumb. I was gonna say like, I remember feeling emotion at the end. <laughs> but, uh, I, I don't think but, that's dumb at all. I think that's, I, I really think that's what they were going for here. Uh, I think if they want it to tell a more um, specific story, like I, I, mean, I think even some of their other games have, like Pyre has a more clear narrative through line with right. very clear characters and the things that those characters do. And anyway, not to get off base from the game we're talking about, but just, yeah. Transistor is more of a like a game about emotions and feelings and and you know obviously there's a love affair at the center of it um but you're right like the ending is is less about like oh yeah that uh, that really clarified everything for me and more was like oh that's a that's a feeling right like it's a sort of bittersweet uh sensation to close out my memory of that game like, uh, well, she has to die, but she's with her person now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even though she doesn't talk and it's really the sword doing all that, there's a chemistry there. Yeah. Still, mm -hmm. that feels really strong that I even re revisiting it for this, the couple hours I played, I remember like being genuinely happy to see them again and sure. being like, oh, this, I, I miss them. I miss this dynamic. <laughs> like him, like constantly, oh, where are you, where are you going? <laughs> like, you know, he, like his commentary was always really. Yeah. entertaining and even if he has like the um you know again this is logan cunningham who's like pretty much their voice sure. their main voice actor for all these games playing the the transistor but like yeah i yeah there's something to be said about like i don't know how they managed to make me care about a mute singer with a chatty sword that much <laughs> well I, I, I think a lot of it has to do with the performance like him yeah. having that like caring quality in his voice when he's when he's talking to red like that goes a long way um yeah, yeah I like those little the cutscenes you would get with them sometimes. If you went into like one of the like side areas, you'll see they're like, "Oh, Red's eating pizza," and yeah. she's kind of got the sword leaning there, and like she's having a good time or something like that. Or like she goes to the bathroom and leaves them outside. Relationship got, goals. Like, well, and they they <laughs> they double down on some of that relationship stuff. I think with um, finding some grounding moments, like a in in the part of the game that I replayed last night. There was a section where she came up to a console that let her pick out food. Right. And uh, and the transistor speaks up and it's like, well, it's really only one choice here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, and like because like that's my favorite. That's really what you should get. Yeah. Right. Like and, and it, it 
finds ways to to like put in those little relationship moments that you totally recognize as being like oh yeah with my partner like it's it's that way uh and uh i i think you're also right that they find ways to do it in a um where he's about the words um at least at this point in their relationship by necessity he's about the words and she's about the action where maybe prior to this when she had her voice and she was a singer and he was maybe protecting her or whatever he was the he was the guy who was about the actions and she was about the words so it's a flipping of the script a little bit yeah. there and kind of like in the development because it's still implied you don't know what he was but yeah, i yeah. think they still implied like maybe he was still that boxer guy it was it was very much like sort it was very yeah. much like oh we we have kind of a, a different uh tapestry for how these characters play out but it's basically the same characters in the same world and everything yeah yeah, yeah. and so like er, very early in the game you get that sequence um where she kind of she's at the edge of the city and she has the choice to leave, right? Like uh, this isn't this isn't the story. Oh, yeah. of, like red, uh, I just got to get out of here. That's not what it's about. I mean, like this thing happens to her beloved, and and she like I'm going after these people, and you never yes. hear her say it because she can't say it. But the guy is like, okay, let's get out of here. I I've got here's the motorcycle. I know where there's a bike. You can get us out of town. You'll be safe. And she's just, and we never hear her talk about it, but she goes the other way, right? And so it's a way of like uh, letting her actions become the thing that then he comments on. And so we get a better picture of her as a character and like what her priorities are. Yeah, absolutely. It's fun that you get to accentuate her actions a bit too. Like we talked about like speeding up on the motorcycle. Like that's when that conversation's happening. He's like trying to talk her out of it a bit. And you could just like, hold X and just like see the sparks fly behind her and like see like that she is actively like going faster into battle uh, to take care of business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that I think you summed it up great, Miller, that that yeah. Bastion is a it's more or Bastion <laughs> <a> transistor <laughs> is more of a vibe than just like about its moment to moment. Like, oh, my God, a plot twist, you know, Um yeah, I think that's how it's best enjoyed, probably. Um, but yeah, that's the the stories of Transistor, and I guess uh, by extension, the story of this episode of video gameography. Uh, if you have not played Transistor, I, I again, I, <laughs> I feel, I'm trying to get off the feeling that I need to overly defend Transistor to people <laughs> and like sell it. Like, no, no, no. If you like their other stuff, you'll like this, which I it's maybe partially true. It's such a different game from a gameplay standpoint in a lot of ways but yeah. if you like the super giant like vibe and presentation you should check it out i i have a hard time believing that if you don't like one of their games you won't at least find something to like about the other ones um i, I think but, that's why it's it's i i love that you guys are approaching video the current season here of video gameography as this studio's games because you're they aren't a franchise and yet they are right more mm. than any studio really really more than any studio i can think of i think supergiant has an identity that carries between its its games uh it's one of the things i like most about them and if you can get to a place that you have played a game by supergiant and you love it i really think that you should play all their games like you're not going to love all of them the same and you're not going to like uh, the 
the gameplay style necessarily the same. Like, like heck, like Pyre is based on old school like uh, sports games, right? Which was never a thing for me, right? Like that was just not a scene that I was into. I know it was for a lot of people, but do I love Pyre? Hell yes. I mean, it's super, it's super neat. Uh, and uh, I think that's true for Transistor. I think there's, pro because of its age um, and because it was maybe their second game and because maybe it didn't make it to all the platforms, it's never been on Xbox. Like I bet there's a lot of people for whom uh, like, that's the game in the catalog that they haven't tried. Um, and I think it's worth it. It's not like, you're not looking at like a 50 hour investment or anything like that. It's, it's a relatively manageable game. I bet you can find it cheap someplace and like just dig in and enjoy what it, what it's doing um, and get that mood, get that, those feels that we're talking about. Yeah. I think the last thing I'll say is that it always felt like super giants, a bug's life to me. <laughs> or like a bug's life is like it's Pixar's second film, but it's so forgotten. But it's yeah. like it's their second film ever, and it's really good, but no one ever wants to talk about it. <laughs> and um, but it was nice hearing in the uh, the no clip documentary Amir talk about how he's noticed in recent years that the love for Transistor has been bubbling up more and more. He's like, I think the game is finally old enough where it's hit that almost like somewhat classic status where he's like there's people that were like he said like you know there's people that are like oh i i was 13 when i played this and now i'm like 20 or whatever so like yeah i remember that that was one of my first games or something That's like cool. that he's like i'm he started to notice more and more of that sentiment and it's getting to like that bastion level of like nostalgia so that's pretty cool i'm i'm, I'm i was really happy to to hear that for transistor um but yeah thanks for uh sitting down with us matt hey to, uh, absolutely thanks for having me of course yeah anything you want to plug that you're working on or anything on the site that you want to put out there i think uh uh i ultimately i'm i'm really pleased that you guys are are doing this right now like the super giant thing is is really cool um and uh like i said i'm happy that you're um you guys are are working on it i think for me personally one of the things i well, a very little project if you want to give some love to that's going to post sometime soon. Uh, I got got to do a time lapse of a Lego build um, that's going to post right. up on the site here in the next couple of days. So maybe people want to uh, watch for that. Maybe by the time this goes up, it'll actually be out there uh, where um, the new um, uh, FAR game, if, uh, if you know about that, FAR Changing Tides. A uh, game that came out a little while ago, which I, I bet is a game that a lot of people missed out on because it came out right in that same vicinity as like some February. giant beasts like Horizon and Elden Ring and all that kind of stuff. And uh, but it's a it's a beautiful little game, and uh, they made this like custom Lego build of the ship, which is a great fit for an idea connected to that game because in the game, of course, you're sort of building your own ship to cross the waters. And um, anyway, I work with the video guys on our team and. Um, we uh, we put that uh, we actually did a time lapse of this of this big build of the ship that they created. And it's I don't know, it's pretty cool. That that's a cool, unique project for for Game Informer. Yeah. I'm, I'm really happy that you were able to to undertake that and yeah, build that neat. ship, build that yep. boat, build that yep. boat. You, you you hummed the whole time. <laughs> I did. I sat there and I held down L one and I hummed while I made it. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome well uh thank you for listening everyone uh be sure if you want to uh hit us up with any uh comments feedback all that good stuff uh podcast at gameinformer.com is the email address just put a uh, video gameography 
in the uh, subject line so we know it's for us. Also, if you're in the Game Informer Discord, you know, we've got our video game for channel. Thanks to everyone that uh, drops by to say nice things or have any recommendation about future seasons. Those are always appreciated. Keep it coming. It's fun interacting with you guys. Uh, otherwise, you can find us online uh, on Twitter. I am at, at MarcusStewart7, which is the number seven. Uh, I'm at John, what's my Twitter? John underscore Carson. <laughs> <laughs> and uh i know you're not like the biggest twitter guy but did you want to drop your handle or do you want sure people, to people find are welcome to go in there and see that i'm not posting very much but it's at, <laughs> at matthew r miller if you ever want to go see i mostly talk about a uh, tabletop stuff that we've had a chance to cover in there yeah go peek through the window see if the store's open yet uh that fun stuff <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah tune in next week guys episode three we are going to be unpacking super giant's pyre which is uh, another fun and unique game in their catalog. So we're excited to see you there. Until next time, have a good one. Bye-bye. We'll see you next week. You good, John? Just stretching. Stretch out. Just, you know, celebrating we do a Jericho yoga day. before we start. Yeah. Just raise the sun. Get the blood flowing Dude, I, the brain. I'm a ring man now, so I just kind of put there. up the ring. What Orlando Jordan used to do? <laughs> the actor? Oh, no, that's, Orla- that's Orlando that's Jones. <laughs> <laughs> or Orlando Jones. There's two of them. Yes. There's, just, two there's a couple of Orlandos. I think we went with Jones, who I think has what if, been less relevant than Bloom. <laughs> what if they did the fusion dance? Oh, they just become the city of that. It's just, <laughs> I, I just live in them. What has Orlando Bloom been doing recently? What's he He's done? had that Amazon show, the Carnival one. Uh, uh, what was yeah, it called? Yeah. The... Carnival Row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know oh, he's yeah. been doing that. I, I don't okay. know what else. That's supposed Not... to be pretty good, right? I didn't have watched that yet. Hey, look, I remember seeing trailers, and I was like, that looks interesting. He's been smart of, like, he's been doing that and avoiding appearing in pirate sequels because he knows No, he was, he was in that last pirate sequel. But it's, like, brief. He knows, like, if I'm going to do it, he, like, gets yeah, his yeah. check, and yeah. I'm going to be in for, like, three minutes. And I'm out. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's got to be good to get, to get to that part of your career as an actor where you've done enough in a given franchise that you can be like, I would like $5 million, and I will show up on the horizon at the end of your film. <laughs> I will <laughs> wave at my wife, who's on yeah. a ship. Yeah, like her, him and Kira Knightley are smart of like, these are getting progressively worse, so we'll show up for a minute at best, and you give us a gazillion dollars. How's that, that last sound? one was the best of like the last decade or so of those movies. Oh, I didn't like the last one at all. Oh, you didn't like it? Uh, no. I, I was a big fan of uh, the whole young... Uh, young jack jack sparrow thing like that was kind of like the perfect encapsulation of that character mm. and we will never see it again ever. <laughs> oh that's what you think <laughs> if they announce another pirates movie today yeah. i would not be shocked just because that's just what they do now <laughs> even with everything going on with johnny depp's personal life i guess uh, yeah 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 that's anyways been a, that's been something else